so my name is Ariel. I'm a 22-year-old girl that lives in Arizona. Um, I've wanted to start a podcast for a really long time, and I actually just started my first adult job. Um, I work for Wells Fargo, and I commute about an hour each way. And so I've been feeling, you know, like I need to do something with my time, and I figured this was the best way to put it to use. Um, So I don't really know kind of what my goal is with the podcast. Um, I've had just kind of a really interesting life, um, and there's just different things that I, you know, like to share with others, um, and I don't really know. I just wanted to at least just get started and kind of get my thoughts out there and then see where things go. So, like I said, um, I am 22 years old. Um, I recently graduated from the University of Arizona. Um, I actually changed my major seven times while I was in college. Um, never knew what I wanted to do growing up. I had different interests, different hobbies, um, but nothing that I you know, knew wholeheartedly I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I ended up, like I said, changing my major seven times, and I fell into nutrition science. Um, it was a pre-med, basically, degree um, that got you all the requirements to get into the different medical programs. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do occupational therapy or physical therapy, um, medical school, physician's assistant school, dental school, pharmacy school. Um, You know, I I looked into all of them and I never could pinpoint any of those that I really was for sure committed to doing. Um, And as you may know, the schooling is between four to eight years, depending on what program you pick. And I just knew that I, I didn't want to commit at the end of graduation. Um, I ended up doing a marketing minor the summer after I graduated. Um, so my degree was in nutrition science, and then I have two minors in psychology and business marketing. So when I did my marketing minor, um, I had a class with Jerry Colross. Shout out to Mr. Colross. Um, and it was about sales, and I never pictured myself being a salesperson. Um, but what I learned in that class was... There's so much more to sales than, you know, what you see in the movies. Sales isn't that, you know, greedy, sketchy car salesman. Um, That's a very small portion of it. Everything around us is about sales. And really, it's just about connecting with people, um, you know, seeing what they need and, and making that need fit for them. And so I started applying for different jobs after graduation and... I was starting to get really defeated. Um, I had sent out probably 80 different applications online, and I wasn't hearing back from anyone. Um, The University of Arizona had hosted a career fair, and I went down to Tucson for the weekend, um, went to this career fair, and I actually ended up meeting my boss while I was there. Um, She kind of picked me out from the crowd, and, you know, we just started talking, and she's like, you know, I feel like you'd be really good at this job doesn't matter that you don't have experience like you have a great personality and so I ended up working um, for Wells Fargo so I work as a uh, I work in the mortgage department I help uh, customers that want to basically finance their homes whether they're purchasing or refinancing Um, and so that's been a huge transition for me lately Um, I graduated in August I started with Wells in October um, and I've just been working full-time and kind of just getting to know, you know, what life is like when you have a 40-hour-a-week commitment. Um, and like I said, I, I commit or I commute two hours each way. Um, 
definitely learning a lot. It's challenging me a lot. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at now. So kind of to backtrack on my life a little bit. Um, I was born in Texas. Um, I was born into a military family. My dad was in the army. Um, my mom and my dad had gotten married. Um, I believe they were 22. Um, they had me pretty quickly after that. Um, I was actually born, uh, right outside the military base and basically, um, my dad wasn't, you know, wasn't a good, a good fit, um, with my mom. Uh, they ended up separating when I was about two and when I was seven, he ended up passing away. Um, he was involved in an accident in the military, um, that, that took away, um, a lot of his different abilities and he was hundred percent disabled and basically, um, passed away when I was seven. So the relationship never was really there growing up. I do remember a few phone calls, um, but the way my dad was injured and the way it affected him mentally, um, he, he really didn't play a big role in my life growing up. Uh, my mom raised me as a single mom and it really takes a, a village to raise um, a kid. Um, that'll, you know, I'll touch on that a lot more just about the different role models I had growing up. Uh, but my mom worked, she worked several different jobs, you know, to make ends meet. We grew up, you know, relatively poor. Um, my mom worked really hard and, um, you know, that was, that was our life. She was a single mom. Uh, she worked a lot and I was in daycare and kind of, um, you know, she, she always did her best. Um, when I was about 10, um, my mom had always been interested in fostering, uh, children. My mom was a teacher and she worked in a low income school and every year she would have students in her classroom that were removed by CPS, Child Protective Services, um, because of the family situation. They were taken away. Um, a lot of times they would go into foster homes far away. They would be pulled away from their school, their friends, their family, everything they knew. Um, and my mom wanted to basically just be able to take that student home, have them stay with us until their family situations could get figured out. Um, and so she had always wanted to do it, um, but it was it was hard as a single mom to figure out how to organize it. A lot of um, the foster care organizations didn't allow single parents to be foster parents. And so um, when I was, I believe I was 10, um, we got a call um, just about a month after my mom was certified that they had a little boy that had some behavior issues and a speech impediment and they wanted us to foster him. And, you know, my mom had said, you know, she really wanted to take students that were in her classroom, but here there was a boy that they felt like was going to be a great match for us. And, you know, she, she didn't want to pass up that opportunity. And so we took in my little brother, um, and it turned out that he had a lot more, um, than just a speech impediment and, um, see, I can't even remember what the, <laughs> what the initial issue was. Um, but basically he had just a grocery list of all these different things that basically through the neglect of the years growing up, um, had to be worked on. And so here I was, you know a single child, single mom. Um, we were always super, super close. And then, 
this little boy came out of nowhere. Um, he actually came to the home while I was away at summer camp. Um, so I came home and lo and behold, I had a brother. (laughs) And so, you know, at 10 years old, that's a very unusual situation to be put in. Um, and I was a rather selfish child. You know, I think most only children are, um, It was just my mom and I, so I had her full undivided attention, um, you know, when she wasn't working. And so, you know, that's, that was probably one of the biggest changes, um, points of change in my life. Um, I really had to learn how to be selfless and giving and patient. Um, I really had to step up and, you know, be a role model and a mentor for this little boy. And so, there was a lot of a lot of hardship, a lot of change. Um, <laughs> there was I was actually going to um, art therapy, and I had um, <laughs> I had drawn this picture of me burning my brother <laughs> in like a big fire, and my mom was, of course, you know, just shocked and upset, and she just you know couldn't believe that I had drawn this picture. And the art therapist was like, oh, this is amazing. This is exactly what we want to see. Like, you know, she's getting out her anger. And so, you know, it was, it was a, it was a very hard time for me. Um, obviously I would never hurt my brother, never did. Um, but you know, at 10 years old, that's a lot to go through. Um, and so my mom ended up, um, finding a, basically a new husband. Um, they met I believe when I was 11 or 12 um and he had a daughter that was my age um in came another factor um someone else to take more of my mom's time um and then a sibling that was a girl that was my age um she lived with her mom so she never ended up actually living with us um but that was just another challenge there was another sense of competition and um you know just another person sharing my mom's time Um, a little while after that, um, I'm terrible with dates, but a little while after that, um, we ended up adopting, well, uh, fostering my first brother's biological brother. Um, and he was four at the time and he came to our home and, you know, he started with us as well. Um, I don't have a ton of memories kind of with the, um, the transition with getting my brothers, um, there's a a lot of, I'm not, there's a lot of memories that I I remember specifically, but like timeframes I'm, I'm terrible with. Um, so got my next little brother when he was four. Um, and then a couple of years later we got my third little brother. Um, and he was not biologically related. Um, he, um, so all, all of my brothers have autism. Um, they are on the spectrum and they have learning disabilities. Um, and I was just having a conversation with somebody about how much I hate labels. Um, all three of them are classified as autistic, but they are all so, so different in their abilities and their struggles. And, um, you know, there's, there's not a label to, to really give them. Uh, they're all very high functioning, Um, and, you know, but, but there are a lot of things that they struggle with, especially behaviorally. Um, so we got my third little brother, um, shoot, and I don't even know how old I was, probably 13, maybe 13 or 14. 
and um, he was six at the time. Um, so they're actually now 19 um, is the first little boy we got, uh, 16 and 15. So, you know, throughout kind of my childhood um, and young adulthood, I've had this, you know, bigger challenge of, you know, helping raise these three little boys that have autism and have learning disabilities. Um, And another thing is, so um, me, my mom, and then my stepdad and his daughter, my stepsister, are all Caucasian. We're all white. Um, And then my the oldest brother and then his biological brother are both Hispanic and then the youngest little boy is African-American. Um, so when you see our family, um, I'm also, I'm five, nine and I'm kind of the baby of the family. My sister is six, two, my dad is six, one. Um, and then my mom is six, two as well. Um, so we are this, you know, very tall family and we are completely blended. Um, my youngest brother also, um, does a lot of stemming so he basically, um, will play with, um, basically any kind of object. He'll, he'll hold it really close to his face and he'll jump around and he'll shake it. Um, and so, you know, seeing that in public is another just kind of attention grabber of people. So again, going from just my mom and I to this blended family, um, you know, that has all these different aspects of it, um, was something that was pretty challenging growing up. Um, Aside from having, you know, the the kind of dynamic family that we do, uh, I was so, so blessed. Uh, My mom, when I was very young, always had me in all sorts of different groups and activities and things like that. Um, So when I was uh, five, I started in Girl Scouts, um, and I actually went all the way until I turned 18. Um, I stuck it out the entire time and ended up in a Girl Scout troop with about 10 other girls. And I got the highest award in Girl Scouts, which was the Girl Scout Gold Award. Um, It's basically comparable to the Eagle Scout in Boy Scouts, Um, but you have to do a service project. Um, There's quite a few stipulations in it and it's pretty prestigious to earn. Um, I also was recognized locally um, as one of the uh, young women of distinction in Arizona as the um, visionary scholar basically. And Girl Scouts was always a huge, huge part of my life. Um, I think that's a, a big emphasis of where I got my women empowerment and my, you know, heart of just giving back and helping others. Um, Girl Scouts was always a place of comfort and a place of acceptance. Um, those 10 girls, you know, was, it was always a family Um, No matter what was going on, everybody had each other's backs. There was, you know, as you can imagine, uh, 10 teenage girls in a group. There's always things going on, but, you know, we always were so close-knit. And I just feel so lucky to have had that group, you know, going through middle school, going through high school. Um, A lot of us went to different high schools, so you know, there, we kind of got to lead separate lives, but then come together and still maintain that friendship. Um, so Girl Scouts was a huge part of my life. Um, I'll probably touch more on that later on. Another big part of my life, um, was camps. So I went to, uh, Christian camps growing up. 
I used to go every summer. Um, I never actually had a church that I was associated with. Um, I would just go to the camp. My mom would drive me up and I was just kind of, you know, the one kid without a, without a church. And I would just blend in and make new friends. And it was so cool for me. It was something I was never intimidated by. Um, and as an adult, like looking back, that's just, just so crazy to me that I was, you know, so okay with just being dropped off at this camp for a week at a time, knowing nobody and, and being so excited to go. Um, I went to Prescott Pines, which was, they do this, it's a kind of Western theme. I think that actually has a lot to do with my love for country music and, you know, Western in general, cowboy boots and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just, I loved that camp growing up. I went back every summer. I went over the winter. They would have like a weekend retreat. Um, and it was just a huge part of my life. Another camp that I went to when I was younger um, was called Catalina Island Marine Institute at Toyon Bay. Um, and basically it was a three-week summer camp um, out on Catalina Island uh, off the coast of California. And basically you didn't have access to a cell phone or any sort of electronics. And you signed up for classes basically revolving around ocean and adventure. Um, some of the classes were like scuba diving, surfing, uh, they had sailing, there was kayaking, hiking, um, mountain biking, photography, uh, cooking classes, um, rock climbing. There's all sorts of super cool classes. Um, and you would sign up for, there was basically eight blocks. Um, some of them were double like scuba classes. Some of the sailing classes were double as well. Um, but you got to meet kids from all over the world at this camp. Um, there's about 250 uh, kids each year, um, ranging from, I think the earliest you could go was like 12 to 18. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to go to this camp for five years. And I think I learned so, so much um, from going here. Not only just meeting people from all over the world, um, but really, you know, disconnecting from technology and the outside world for three weeks is pretty significant. Um, it, it forces you to live in the moment and to, you know, connect with humans. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but in this day and age, you know, when you're having a conversation with somebody, you know, people are always constantly looking at their Apple watch, looking at their phone, you know, looking at the TV behind them. There's so many distractions that, that inhibit relationships nowadays. Um, and, it was just so genuine that you got to meet these people from all over the world. Um, I had a couple girls in my cabin that were from, um, one of them was from Italy. Um, you know, I ended up actually the first big purchase that I made. Um, I think it was, I was 16, I'd have been 17. Um, but I bought a plane ticket to fly out to Idaho to visit one of my friends from this camp. Um, I saved up, you know, for my first job and, that was something that was so exciting for me. I got to travel, you know, by myself to go and stay with a friend that I had met at summer camp. Um, and you know, that was just such a cool experience for me. Um, but these, these relationships that you built at this camp were just so genuine and so pure. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but people that went to this camp just know, um, you know, what, what it does for you. 
Um, and so I was super lucky to have that experience. Um, I think that was another factor that just, you know, made me more confident in, you know, being able to communicate with others, um, being able to make friends, being put in, you know, difficult situations and, um, you know, getting to know people on a more deeper level and finding, you know, commonalities with people that you might not typically. Um, so that was kind of a lot, a lot of the factors that, that went into making me a super, super social person. Um, I always have loved just meeting new people, um, going out, just doing anything, um, going to local festivals, going to different events and parties and, and opportunities just to meet new people and try new things. Um, so when college rolled around, um, I had worked really, really hard in high school. Um, I was top of my class and actually I ended up moving to Hawaii for my freshman year of college. And again, that was another huge challenge for me. Um, moving to Hawaii was something that I was so excited for. Um, I had gone to Hawaii once when I was about 10. Uh, my auntie, her family lived out there and we had gone out there just for a vacation and I fell in love with it. Um, I always wanted to go back. I loved just the environment, the beach. I've always been kind of a beach baby and we went back. Um, I decided I wanted to go to school in Hawaii. I'd gotten accepted. I'd gotten a scholarship and we went back for my graduation trip and I just fell in love with Hawaii all over again. Um, and I was so excited to move there and meet new people. And, um, you know, as, as scary as it was to be, you know, six hours by plane in the middle of the ocean, um, it was something I was so looking forward to. It was this chance to gain even more independence to, um, you know, start college. And I flew out there, um, you know, got settled in and very quickly things started to, um, not turn out how I expected. Um, sadly the university that I went to was a very small campus. There was about 200 students that lived there and, you know, in high school, I, my, my high school, I think had about 1500 students. I was always super social, um, you know, loved to meet new people, uh, put myself kind of in, you know, every different friend group. And when I got to Hawaii, it was clear that there was already cliques forming. Um, you know, you, you had dealt with that in high school, but it was always really easy to kind of break into. Um, you know, I had friends in all different areas and, you know, always kind of was friends with everybody. And so I saw these cliques starting to form and I kind of quickly became almost an outsider. Um, and not necessarily an outsider. I, I had the in with a couple different groups, um, but there was a few different situations um, that basically had quite a few people turn against me. Um, the campus being really small, um, word travels fast, whether it's true or not. And, you know, certain people have personalities that can convince or manipulate others into thinking, you know, certain things of people. And so there was, you know, just socially, it was, it was really challenging. Um, I had some issues with roommates, as you always do, being a freshman uh, college student. 
living in the dorms. Um, I actually had a bedroom that I shared with another girl and then we had a bathroom in between and then the other side had three girls in their bedroom. And so as you can imagine, five girls sharing a bathroom, um, connecting doors on a floor with all girls just led to quite a few issues. Um, and so pretty quickly, um, you know, I started classes, um, and more things kind of came up. One of the hardest things was my, my college was located in the middle of a forest. Um, and actually there was, there's wild boars in Hawaii that weigh like 250 pounds and you would actually hear them like rustling in the bushes at night. Um, it was super cool. It was beautiful. Um, you know, you walk out of your dorm and there's just green everywhere. You can see waterfalls and the mountains in the background. Um, just beautiful, beautiful campus. Um, but the, like I said, it was in the middle of nowhere. Um, most, you know, when you go out there, you can't take a car out there because it's in an ocean. Um, so nobody really had cars to start with. And the closest bus stop was like a mile and a half away. Um, and there was not really other options. There, Uber, very rarely um, could you get an Uber. If you did, it was really expensive. Um, we weren't really close to anything. And so that was probably one of the biggest struggles I had was just, you know, being able to get away. Um, you know, in the dorm, you're literally sharing a room with someone else. You're constantly around um, people. And you don't get a lot of privacy or opportunity to, you know, be by yourself. And so that was something that I really struggled with. Um, when things were hard on campus, you couldn't get away. And so I decided that I was going to save up and I wanted to buy a car. I knew I was going to be buying something cheap, but I didn't need anything fancy. As long as it had wheels and it got me places, that was fine. Um, you know, I could even care less about air conditioning. Put the windows down and it would just be my little island car. Um, so I started saving up and I'd saved up about $1,800 um, and... I saw this cute little, uh, what was it? A Suz I think it was a Suzuki. Um, oh shoot. I can't even remember, but it was this little, uh, Jeep looking car. Um, cute red in pretty good condition. Uh, met up with a local guy. He said it was his uncle's and he was just selling it. They didn't need it anymore. And his uncle was just dis disabled and wasn't going to be using it. Um, and I had brought a friend with me who said he knew a lot about cars and basically I paid cash for it. And on the drive home, it broke down. Um, so I called my mom like I do <laughs> and she, we had it, um, we had it towed to a local, um, a local mechanic and actually no, we, I think I got it up and running again and then brought it to, um, back to campus and you had to pay to park it. It was like $10 a day to park there. And so I was like, oh shoot, I just got this car. It's not in good condition. I need to figure out what's wrong with it, but I'm going to have to pay $10 every day to park it. So in the middle of school, in the middle of everything going on, um, I was able to get it towed or I was able to drive it, I think to a mechanic. And they said that the engine was bad. It was going to need the full engine to be replaced. Um, and so you know, here I had just spent $1,500 on this car and needed a new engine, which obviously I couldn't afford at the time. And I had actually, I had spent a couple hundred dollars. Um, they had to replace, um, I'm terrible with cars. I think it might've been spark plugs or they had to replace something that was a couple hundred dollars. 
in order to find out what else was wrong with it. Um, so I was out a couple hundred dollars and then obviously I couldn't pay for this new engine. And so that was a huge point of stress for me. Um, I ended up actually just donating the car to the city of Honolulu. Um, so I didn't have to pay to park it and I just handed over the title. Um, that was a really defeating, um, moment as well. Not only did I make the mistake of buying this bad car and I was out $1,800, but now I didn't have a car. Um, and this Island that I, you know, had just, had such fond memories of, you know, the whole aloha spirit, everybody's there to help you. Um, and here was, you know, as a college student, I just got taken advantage of by this local who sold me a, you know, junk car. So that was really defeating. Um, I actually was sick at one point as well, about a month after that happened. Um, and I had to go to the hospital, um, go to the emergency room, which I've never done before. Um, so that was just another like hard thing. I didn't have my parents there for, it was really stressful and overwhelming. And so, um, there's just a couple things that kind of happened throughout my year. Um, I decided about halfway through that I, I knew I wanted to leave. Um, so I started looking at colleges to move back to Arizona. Um, that's where I'm from and my family was there and I knew that, you know, I didn't want to stay out in Hawaii. And so I started looking at schools, applying, um, I applied to both the University of Arizona and ASU. Ew, I know. I don't know why I ever thought about going to ASU. <laughs> um, actually, both my grandparents were uh, professors there. My mom got her master's there. My uncle graduated from there as well. I'm the only uh, wildcat of the family, but, you know, got to save the best for last. So I ended up um, transferring back home, and I moved to the University of Arizona. I got my own apartment. Um, I found a couple roommates and started down um, at the U of A. <laughs> I've got quite a few fun roommate stories. I've had a bunch of roommates throughout my time in college. Um, and, you know, <laughs> roommates are, you know, it's, it's quite an experience. Um, you know, some of the best people are just terrible roommates, and that is okay. Um, but I've got lots of fun stories I'll share with you later. Um, but so I moved into the apartment. Um, couple months in actually I well the summer before I had moved down to Tucson I was at a pet store and they were doing adoptions and at the time my family and we still do um we foster puppies and so uh there was a foster organization there adopting out puppies and I was like oh man I just fell in love with this dog um so cute so playful and I just was like, I love this dog. I couldn't imagine like not going home with this dog. And, you know, I obviously just moved back. I was not in the market for buying a puppy whatsoever. And so I was like, oh, I know. I'll see if, I'll, if they'll let me foster it. So I'm like, do you guys do fosters? And they're like, yeah, we're, we're looking for new foster families. And so I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to foster this one. And they were like, oh, sorry, that, that dog's already being taken care of by a foster family. And I'm like, okay. So I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, well, I guess we could foster a different one. So I'm trying to play with them to see if I like any of them. And, you know, at this point I'm like, well, we might as well foster one. So I fill out the paperwork. I'm getting everything finished up. I text my mom and I'm like, hey, can we take in a foster puppy right now? And she's like, if they'll let you take it without like, you know, anything else? Sure. Why not? 
And so um, the agency we go through does like a home inspection and there's a ton of paperwork. So my mom, I don't think honestly believed that they were going to let me just take home a puppy. And sure enough, the, the, the rescue organization, um, it's actually called Orphanage. Um, so if you're in Arizona and you're looking to adopt a puppy, uh, definitely reach out to Orphanage. Uh, Kathy is the one that runs that. Uh, but they were like, yeah, you can, you know, I filled out all the paperwork. And so I was trying to pick out the puppy to take and the individual that was fostering the dog that I had wanted had come in and she had, the owner had mentioned, you know, somebody's looking to foster and they wanted to take, um, actually at the time the puppy's name was Cactus and they were like, they want to take Cactus home. Is that okay with you? And the foster parent had said yeah that's fine we'll just take another one that's you know okay with us and so I was so excited to take this dog home and so um I'm you know getting the puppy getting everything ready and they're like you know her name's cactus this and that and I was like cactus you know that's a really that's a really weird name and so they were like well when we get a litter of puppies they're all organized alphabetically and they all kind of follow the same theme so my dog's uh, was a southwest theme so like she had a brother named cowboy um and then I think there was a another puppy named spur um and actually that would not be right if because it's alphabetical it was like cowboy cowgirl um cactus they were all like c names and so they were like you know you can come up with something else it just has to start with ca and so the weekend before I had actually gone to tour the apartment I ended up living in um called the cadence and so I was like, all right, I'm going to call this foster dog Cadence. And so I come home and of course my parents are like, how did you end up with a puppy? <laughs> like who just handed you a puppy? And so, um, very, very quickly, I just fell in love with this dog. Um, and you know, my parents were like, you know, we're not taking any more dogs. You can't have a dog. No way. And I was like, you don't understand. I can't get rid of this dog. And so my grandma actually ended up adopting the dog and she had her for a couple months and my grandparents are old. Um, my grandma's in a wheelchair. My grandpa actually has dementia. Um, it wasn't as, as intense at that point. Um, but it has quickly picked up. And so they had said, you know, we really can't take care of this dog. They had paid, you know, to, to, purchase it they had paid for the vet fees and everything and they said you know we want you to have it um is that something you can do and so I was able to basically get it registered as an emotional support animal um I struggle with anxiety and so I was able to get it registered and have it live with me at my apartment and that was probably one of the best decisions ever um you know I definitely wouldn't recommend for a lot of college students to get a dog um don't get me wrong it was so so much work and I spent a ton of time working with her on training and taking her out every four hours um but you know that was exactly what I needed she was you know my my little person my little pal um when roommate things were happening when life things were happening she was always there um and there was a lot of um extra responsibility taking care of her and being accountable for another life um and so I had her my my sophomore year um and actually I kept her you know all throughout college still have her to this day um but so I lived at that apartment um and I ended up transferring 
apartments my sec- my junior and senior year. Um, but my experience at the University of Arizona was so different from Hawaii. Um, U of A was exactly what I needed. Um, it was a big school, a lot of opportunity to meet new people, make a name for yourself, um, you know, find different opportunities to grow and challenge yourself and um, I was able to get involved in just a bunch of different clubs <laughs> I met I, I was really lucky actually um, the apartment complex that I had lived at um, I, I didn't end up living in a dorm because they were out of dorm housing so I ended up living in the apartments that were student student run well student-only apartments and that was so cool I got you know to have a full kitchen and a living room and you know complete privacy um, but still have the ability to meet other students Um, and so I actually met a lot of my friends in the elevator at the apartment Um, again having my dog just made you know people want to talk to me and talk to my dog and pet my dog And so, you know, they would, you know, and even if they weren't trying to talk to me, my dog would sniff them or sit next to them or something in the elevator, um, which just led to conversation. Um, I actually, one of my best friends in college, his name was Jack. um, (laughs) My dog went up and sniffed him right in the crotch. And I was so embarrassed. And I just kind of laughed and was like, I'm sorry, that was just as awkward for you as it was for me. And he was like, that's okay. Like your dog is so cute. My name's Jack. And that was literally the start of our friendship. Um, we were friends all the way until we graduated. Um, we're still friends to this day. He lives in California. Um, but yeah, living at a student complex was such a huge opportunity for me to meet new people, especially transferring to a new university as a sophomore. I think there's a lot of challenges with transferring that, you know, that you don't know ahead of time. Um, as far as, you know, credits transferring, um, there's a ton of programs for freshmen to get immersed in the campus, get immersed in the community and the activities and all the options that are available to you. But when you transfer, you don't get that same experience. Um, there's a lot less options and programs and it's, um, it's just a lot harder, you know, to, to get to know the school and meet new people. So I was, I was really, really lucky that I was able to live at that, uh, student complex, but I ended up getting really involved, um, in a couple different programs. Um, I had a friend that had applied to be a part of what's called the Arizona ambassadors. And basically you're a tour guide for the campus. Um, so you are a representative that, you know, gives prospective new students tours and travels to different UVA functions on behalf of the university. So I had applied and I was accepted. Um, I was actually the cub class president. Um, so there was about, I think there was around 30 of us, 32 of us that were accepted. So I was kind of the leader of our group. Um, I got to plan some social events and that was just another opportunity that helped me, you know, meet new people, gain new friends and really get immersed in U of A. Um, I did that at the start of my junior year and that was a a huge, huge turning point for me. I think, um, I got to meet so many people and, uh, ambassadors is what, what's referred to as an honorary. 
Um, and there's a number of honoraries at the University of Arizona. Um, off the top of my head, there is Primus, uh, Sophos, Chain Gang, uh, Mortarboard, um, Bobcats. I, I know I'm forgetting a couple s'mores. Spurs. There's there's different uh, honoraries for each grade level, and so ambassadors is the only one that is multi grade. Um, so it it was just a huge blend of a ton of students from all these different honoraries, um, which just led to so many opportunities to meet new people and be invited to different organizations and events and things like that. Um, so I was so so thankful for my time in ambassadors. Alright guys, thanks so much for listening to my first episode. Like I said, this is going to kind of be a mix-up as I get started and get into my flow of making podcasts. Um, The most important thing for me is just to get started, get my thoughts out there, um, and kind of see where I plan to go from here. Uh, Let me know what you guys think, leave me a comment, I'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye!